трибуна халеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Russian Football News Podcast. Greeting you from the new year 2017. Once again, I mean, it may be a new year, but I've got the same old guests. Fortunately, I would say. So I'm going to welcome once again uh, the website editor, Toka Thilaid. I'm all right, thank you. And uh, Andrew, again? Hey, Thomas. Yes. Good, uh, good to be back. And new year. Andrew Flint. You're not bored of the same old people, are you, despite the new year? Nah, not at all. No, good. Um, I hope I listen to this answer either. No. <laughs> yeah, if anyone... Well, to be honest, that's who matters, really. Yeah, if, if anyone has any requests for new guests, if you want to get rid of Andrew, get rid of me, even, then, then do, <laughs> do feel free to comment, but be kind about it. Okay, so we've got some interesting topics today, mainly transfers because it's January, it's the silly season, obviously. So um, one that we're going to kick off with, which is probably most general interest to general listeners, I would say, is we're going to look at why Russian-based players don't tend to adapt to English football. Now, this comes in the wake of news that Umar Nyas, of course, who signed from Lokomotiv Moscow to Everton last season, has just moved to Hull a year later after barely being given a chance by Everton. So, Toka, I'm going to come to you on this first. I mean, what are we thinking with this? I mean, let's just analyse what happened at Everton here. Yeah, of course, there are, there are multiple reasons. You can't just pinpoint one when we have Will. Because it's, it, the important thing to note here is it's not only Nias, it's a long range of players. It's it's a lot of different players who, who have failed in England despite coming for being signed for a lot of money, having a, obviously a huge talent and performing well in the Russian Premier League. Then when they move to England, they simply fail. I think one of the big reasons, um, especially for the guy like Nias, is that the pace in Russia is relatively low. We have a lot of teams who simply stand back on the pitch, defend with 10 guys in front of the penalty area, and that, that simply makes the game slower than it is in England, where it's the, the pace is, as we all know, re- really high, and the games are very intense. That's just not the case in Russia, so the players need some time to adapt. <laughs> Another thing is, of course, that I mean, I watched a lot of games um, with Nias when he played for Locomotive, and during the first half of his stay, he wasn't really good. He was a backup. He didn't do much. Then he had that amazing six-month period where everything he did just went perfectly. I mean, he couldn't hit a ball without scoring, no matter what he, no matter what he did, basically. So I don't think Nias ever had the level for a club like Everton, but that still doesn't explain why Everton did. I think he was record signing for them even. Eleven million was the fee, I think. Yeah, and, and and he never, as you said, he never got a chance. He he had a few minutes here and there, but in the end, obviously, a guy like Nias, he needs time first of all to adapt to a new country and everything, but also to getting used to the higher pace and and everything in in England. That that it is a huge step, and for some reason, it seemed like they never really believed in him, even though they paid a lot of money for him. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that thing about adapting to new countries. What really annoys me in particular, I see it quite a lot, when fans complain like, oh, this player's useless, even though he's only arrived about a month ago. And I think, I always put the argument, I mean, having, I mean, Andrew, you'll know the same having lived abroad like me in Russia and things, that going over to a new country where you don't know anybody, when you're about 21, it's going to take a long time to adapt. Well, I mean, it does. It's, that's not specific to Russian players going to England, of course. Um, and I agree with you. I think it is a shame that players aren't given that chance to prove themselves. I think one thing I'd, I'd also you know, mention is the fact that, you know, I mean, Thomas, again, you know, living in England, uh, I, I read English media as well a lot. And how often have you actually heard Nias actually say anything to the media, complain or make a show of it, or even his agent try and kick up a bit of fuss? I saw one interview in The Guardian about, oh, I don't know, a month, two months ago, perhaps, where he said, you know, I mean, of course he's going to try and paint himself in the most positive picture, but he was saying, I, I can't really understand why I've not been given a chance, but I'm willing to, to work at it. And, you know, this is when, uh, you know, a full international, and like you mentioned earlier, club record signing, or former club record signing, um, being made to train with the under-23s, and um, really very rarely given any game time at all. Um and he, he didn't say, well, I expected more. He didn't make any negative noises. And that's what I find quite perplexing about the whole situation at Everton. The only conclusion I can draw from it is that there is something behind the scenes, perhaps an argument or a uh, something something that just didn't go down well with Ronald Koeman. Um, 
But I still find it strange. I mean, just looking at Everton on just briefly their playing style, um, Komen apparently has said to the Liverpool media in the last few months that he wants to basically increase the amount of pace that he has in his squad. And, you know, he's seen him linked with Memphis Depay um, recently. But the one thing, the one thing that Umar Nias has is pace and he's never been used. Um, you know, he's not going to play instead of um, Romelu Lukaku realistically. That's quite a tall order. But there's no reason why he can't play slightly <laughs> wide of him. Um, you know, we see so many modern forwards do that nowadays. So basically, I just think it's um, this individual case is incredibly unfair on Nias. But I think he deserves credit for not kicking up a, a bit of a stink about it and you know, sticking at it in England, where he's he's been labelled now. He's been tarred with the brush of, of while well, he's come from the Russian league, he can't hack it here, but he's still sticking at it. So I think all credit to Nias in this case. You have literally taken every single word out of my mouth in those things, because I was going to make the exact point that it's, I mean, behind closed doors, we can speculate all we like, but we don't know if he's had an argument with Kuman or anything. The other point about Lukaku, I was going to make the exact same point. Are you really going to play in there? And to answer your question about out wide, I mean, perhaps with, with Balassi coming, I mean, I know he's injured now for the next 12 months, so perhaps it would have been a good opportunity for him. So that would certainly be an interesting argument. But you, the Kuman thing, it's, it do, it's not just Kuman though. Remember, he only came in the summer. It's under Martinez as well. This is a Martinez signing, yet he still didn't get a chance here, Toka. I mean, that's really strange. So maybe it was a fallout with the club rather than the manager? I think it's important to remember that when Nias joined Everton, he came off a, a three-month period with, it, with no competitive games because of the Russian winter break. So in, obviously in the beginning, he wasn't in, in shape to play regularly for the first team. And I... I think they, I actually think they knew when they signed him that he wasn't going to make much of an impact during the first six months, simply because of the winter break and because he needed regular playing time to get to top shape. So I, I don't think we can play for teams for not using him that much last season. But yeah, it 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 has been very strange to follow. I have to say that because this year he should be in top shape. There's there's really no excuses for him, and he's just been completely um, hidden away on the on the reserve team and they have no intention of using him at all. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we've got this move now to Hull. I think it's loan with a view to a permanent deal in the summer. I'm not sure if that's an option or whether it's actually mandatory, Andrew. But, I mean, mm. we predicted last season that he'd do well at Everton, so I'm a bit scared to predict how he'll do at Hull. But I'm going to ask you to I'm going to ask you to predict it anyway. Well, I actually think this is a good move for both parties, for the club and for, for Nias himself. I mean, Hull you know, how they were still functioning as a football club with so few players um, after their, well, just nightmare six months. Um, I don't even know everything that's gone on behind the scenes, but the ownership issues and all of that. Anyhow, so they desperately need a striker, obviously. Um, I mean, you know, Robert Snodgrass is, is their star performer, and apparently he turned down a move to China, which, um, you know, if you'd said 12 months ago, Robert Snodgrass in big money moved to China, you would have laughed a bit, but... Um, but anyhow, he's a, he's a, he's got a good left foot. He's creative, could create chances for, yes. Um, and I, I, well, I mean, I, like you, Thomas, I'm hesitant to say I think he'll be a success given that we predicted it last time, but I don't think he can do much worse, quite frankly. I think, and I'm not, obviously not talking about him and his performance, but for his career, I don't think there's, it could go much worse than being humiliated and demoted to the under 23s. Um, at Everton, so I think all he really needs to do, if he can get even just five, six goals in the second half of the season, and he surely will, surely at Hull he will play most games, um, purely because of the numbers alone, but also his quality. So if he can play regularly, get five, six goals anymore as a bonus. Um, at the very least, he'll put himself back into a more positive light, and you know he might earn a move to somewhere slightly longer term. Um, but, I mean, even better, imagine if he saved them from relegation. Um, you know, one or two important goals in the running. He might stay at Hull, make more of it in the Premier League, and, you know, who knows from there. So, I think it's a good fit. It's about as good a fit as he could get at this stage. So, without saying he'll be a roaring success, I think he will do well, simply because he can't do much worse. Yeah, I suppose relatively. I mean, I'm just my prediction is I look forward to seeing next season in the Championship at Birmingham City. So that's my prediction where he'll be next season. But um, 
I mean, let's move on to a more sort of general topic about players not adapting from the Russian league. We've seen it time and time again, Toka, particularly with Russian national players. We see Pavlichenko, Arshavin, Bilyaletdinov, numerous others. Um, what is the problem here? I mean, obviously, there was a bit of a phase in that sort of um, late 2000s, if you like, where there's a bit of a fashion to buy Russian players, I think, because of the national team's success. But now it seems that trust is completely gone. But also CSK and, and Senate, of course. But yeah, I think it's important to differentiate between the, the Russian players and then the, the foreign players moving from the Russian league. Because when we talk about Pavlyuchenko and Shavin and Judy Shirkov and these guys you mentioned before, I think they all they definitely had the level to play in the Premier League. That's that's really no doubt about that. And so it wasn't the footballing skills were the problem. It was it was a mental thing. Um. And it simply it seemed like they all had had this feeling that they didn't really they didn't find that hard for it. And I think part of the reason is that they all had sort of a backup solution, knowing that oh well we can always go back to Russia, huge stars again and earn tons of money. Because they they came from I don't want to say spoiled, but I mean that is the word we have used a lot of times on this on this podcast about players playing in Russia with the foreigner limit and everything. Um and the worst start, they had a lot of money and everything. And England and suddenly they had to fight for the spot in the starting lineup. They really had to fight against good opponents, good teammates, everything. And it it simply seemed like they didn't bother with us. I mean, Pavlyuchenko complained about not playing all the time. Yeah, but the thing is, look at look at the strike. Sorry, Toke, look at the striking options he was up against: Robbie Keane, Darren Bent, Jermaine Defoe. I mean, come on. And and Xavi, I mean. He showed he was a genius. He showed he was a world-class player on uh, on numerous occasions. But at some point, it just seemed like, okay, now he didn't really care that much anymore. And he just gave up. And then he returned to Senate. And he, he didn't get out of that sort of <coughs> mental state until he moved to Kazakhstan uh, last year. And it's, yeah, it, I think it's all mentally when, when we look at these Russian players. And I think it's the same reason we don't see guys like Sukhodin or Shatov or... I mean, all these young Shakoyev, all these younger players who also also often regularly linked with English and Spanish and German clubs. I think it's the same reason why they don't go abroad. It is, it's all mental, and it is because they have sort of a security net in the Russian league. And I mean, why bother when you're already a, a huge star with your pockets full of money? Yeah, I mean, Andrew, this sort of brings me on to Fyodor Smolov, who I know you're a big fan of, and we're going to talk a, a lot more later, but. Um, just a preview for the rest of the podcast for the listeners. We are going to discuss the Russian football news top fifty, which there was a there was a result which we won't go into until then. Even though you probably already know it, but um, you mentioned in that sort of video review you did of it that it'd be re- if with Smolov linked away from the Russian league, it'd be really interesting to see how he adapts to being that smaller fish in a big pond as opposed to in Russia where he's the big you know the big man essentially. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it would be. I mean, just the cultural differences that we we've touched upon already in this this part of the pod would be one issue um but yeah the the change in perspective would be would be enormous now i mean small of course he went to he went to border six years ago to Feyenoord um when he was uh let's say slightly less mature as a player um and you know that that just didn't well it just didn't work at all he didn't get game time and it, it wasn't a success for him but i just i don't know i I don't want to talk up his his possibility of going abroad, as you guys well know, but um, I actually think his mental approach to the game would be would be relatively well suited now. Um, you know, he's he's not getting any younger. Um, it's a good time. He's he's at his peak. He's on. He's in incredible form. Um, and I think if he's going to go, now is the time to go. If he went to, you know, I've heard talk of him. Uh, possibly even going to Borussia Dortmund. Now, I actually think that would be the wrong move for him. Um, because, you know, at, at Dortmund, there's such a pressure to play that attacking and high-tempo game. I'm not saying he can't cope with the high-tempo game, but they, they have almost this this obsession with being the, um, you know, the fashionable side to follow, the entertaining, free-flowing, attacking stuff. And if he didn't score the goals... That's what he would be brought in to do. He's, he's not there to be the pacey, wide attacker. Um, I mean, we know he's he's versatile enough and um, 
you know, and he's he's got the mentality to play out of position. He's done it for the national team. He did it for um, for Krasadar about twelve months ago um, before he was moved more centrally. Um, I think he would actually be um, the right mentality. It has to be the right club, though, um, and I, I'd be concerned if he went to that level that might be just a bit out of his reach because then within a year he'd return tails between the legs. So. Um, it depends on it, what which club it is. I would say it needs to be, you know, someone slightly below the absolute top of the Bundesliga, slightly below the top of the Premier League. Um, I don't think Everton specifically, but that sort of stature of club, that's where I think he could be a success. Um, now, I mean, we've seen, we've debated before about for the national team, where and how he should be used best. And it seems quite obvious that as a central striker, he should be used. Um, but, of course, that brings us on to how do we deal with um, Juba in the national team? And it's I think it's very difficult, is the answer. I think he is best as the number nine. Um, and, you know, clubs abroad, bringing in a number nine is, I'd almost say, more of a risk than bringing in somebody who can be more flexible and is best in the slightly more withdrawn attacking role. So I'm not sure exactly who will go for him. Uh, I hope nobody. I hope he stays in Russia. Um, but mentally, I think he would be ready. I've never thought I'd hear you put a damper on Fyodor Smolov. I thought you'd be saying, yeah, he's ready for Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, well it, it is partly out of my own interest. I'm not saying that. But um, but no, that's, that's, that's what I think. I think... Um, you know, if it really, it, I don't see why he wouldn't be interesting, an interesting option for Dortmund, simply because they've seen him in action. He scored against them last season, of course. Um, um, but I just, I worry, I worry maybe if this is the issue. You know, more generally, if you, you mentioned about the late two thousands, how you know the Russian national team was playing really well, and the, the club sides obviously were doing well, and the top players were bought from those teams when they were just hitting that right run of form. Um, perhaps those runs of form were just so good that it was a bit above their actual, you know, their, not their level, but, you know, where they, feel com- they felt comfortable in that zone. And they saw them in that zone thinking, well, we can replicate that without factoring in how difficult it would be to move abroad. Maybe that's the issue. I mean, yeah, we, we, I mean, going, going to the English thing, we see a similar thing with Jordan Rhodes, great goal scoring in the Championship, moving up to the Premier League, hasn't really been given a chance, to be fair. But, but just to go back to a point that Toker mentioned earlier that I really want to go into with you, Toker, is you mentioned the difference between Russian players and Russian base players, so the foreign players. So what would you say is the big difference there? I think the big difference is that the foreign players, they just, they seem more motivated. For example, look at some of the best defenders in the Premier League over the past Decade, two decades came from Russia. We have Ivanovic, we have Skrtel. They all came from Russian clubs to England and have been absolutely amazing. And then we have, yeah, the, the Russian players we talked about before, and they were anything but amazing. So, yeah, I think I think it's mentality. I think it's motivation and and hunger, really. But just um, you mentioned about sort of the attacking players, and you talked about Arshavin earlier. I mean, I know you're a big fan of him. And he was good when he first arrived, but he just tailed off as as I saw. I saw him quite a few times during that sort of those last couple of seasons. I saw him live a few times, and he just completely tailed off. Yeah, exactly. And I think, as you said, he was he was brilliant. He was world class on his best days. He scored four goals against Liverpool. He scored against Barcelona. He did all those things. But it seemed that as soon as he hit a rough patch, as soon as things got a bit hot, he just he gave up and. He stopped. He stopped trying, and that's. I think that's really the big, the big difference. And because Ivanovic and these guys have also hit tough, tough, um, tough times, and they have just uh, they fought through it and became some of the best players in the world. While Shavin returned to Senate, I mean, one one of my favorite um, favorite examples of this is, um, and an example that's also meant, always mentioned in Denmark when you talk about players who. Who has to fight through a, a tough period is, is the former Danish striker Anders Simonsen, who played on the national teams in the 80s and the 70s. And at a young age, he moved to Mönchengladbach Gladbach uh, from the Danish league, and he was reserved in the two years. I think he played like 17 games or something. And then finally, he got his breakthrough and won the Ballon d'Or, moved to Barcelona, won the UEFA Cup, everything. 
And I mean, he could easily have given up, but he stayed at the club and kept fighting, and eventually it paid off. And I, I think that that's what I really miss from many of these just Russian players going abroad is that they actually keep trying and that they stay at the club. So go back to Russia as soon as they get the chance, but that they actually try to complete the the things they came to do. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm just going to say by the way, bingo, because you actually mentioned Russian, uh, not Russian, Danish football once again. You managed to sneak that one into the Russian football news podcast. Very, very proud of you for doing that. But Andrew, I mean, I, I know you're a, a Manchester United fan, and um, I'm look. I know it, he didn't come from a Russian club, but I'm looking at someone like Kanchelskis in the '90s. So, what's the difference between then and now? Well, I think then. Um, back in that period, it was a complete unknown. He came over as this mysterious and smiling and entertaining, flashy winger, and he fits. He did actually fit perfectly into the style that the team were playing at the time. And it out and out wingers, Ryan Giggs on one side, and Chelsea on the other. Um, I mean, I, I remember seeing him. It was it was around you know like two or three years after I'd been to my first game, so I still were relatively new. I was even learning about the new players, and there was this long-haired, flashy, smiling, direct, quick winger. And it just, um, he was exotic, I think. Now, nobody realistically in the world is a complete unknown. There is always somebody who's found clips of them on YouTube or has watched them on cable TV and social media has shown their best goals and best tricks. So nobody's completely new anymore. And I think that, actually, I think that helped him. Um, And of course, he, you know, don't forget, he was... He moved in 1991 when it was um, it was a very very awkward period almost where he was shunned by his countrymen. He moved from Shakhtar Donetsk and um, and Ukra- and when I say countrymen, I mean Ukrainians specifically. Um, you know they were they were livid with him. They they thought, "Ah, oh, you're a traitor! You're you're abandoning us to the West and all this." And he stuck it out. Um, and you know he obviously. Did well for Everton and Rangers and Fiorentina less so, I think. But even still, um, he made a genuine career for himself. Um, but I don't think I don't think it was just his. I mean, he had to be mentally tough for that. He was only what nineteen twenty, I think it was when he moved, or uh, twenty one perhaps. Um, not just mentally tough, but he had the, the world then was still relatively football world then was still relatively like, had dark corners where players came out of nowhere that you didn't know about. Um, and I think that helped him a lot. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing as well, back in that, those 90s days, the Russian League didn't have that sort of focus. It, it wasn't the crisis there is now with player development, so the Russian Football Union are panicking a bit with the with the foreigner limit tokens. So Kanchelskis didn't suffer with that. He, he didn't have that safety net. No, exactly. Um, I mean, Kanchelski and Mustafa and Karpin and all these wonderful players who moved from Russia, from the Soviet Union, abroad in the late 80s and the early 90s, mid-90s. It it was the thing to do. It was, first of all, of course, we have all these things about different moves to bigger clubs, ambitions and all that. But it was also just financially. I mean, moving abroad and performing as well as possible, was that was that was the thing to do if you wanted to, to earn money because obviously the, the best players playing for Spartak did, have, did receive nice salaries and everything. But it wasn't anything compared to moving to Spain or England as, as the best players did. And today today things are different for the best players and they don't really have that financial motivation for doing anything, for doing more than is actually demanded from them, for, for doing anything else than what we see on a weekly basis when they play for Senate or Sparta. And that's, I think that's that's a major difference and kind of a problem with the, with the um, foreign limit as we have talked about so many times. Yeah, I mean that that's a discussion in itself as as we mentioned. But I want to move on now more away from England and more to sort of transfers in general. Obviously like I said in the introduction, it's now January transfer window time, so there's lots of rooms flying about. So I do believe that you both have got three sort of transfers met players that you'd sort of you're going to predict the future of. You're going to get your crystal balls out. That sounded odd, <laughs> just to say. But <laughs> I just realised when I said that. Anyway, so you've got your yeah, yeah, of course. So you're going to get your three players out. Your th- sorry, your th- sorry, I've got the giggles now. Andrew, Andrew, just go with your three. I'll, I'll take. I'll yeah, take thank you. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so 
yeah, I mean, like you say, Tom, transfer window. And don't forget, of course, that in Russian football world, the winter transfer window is, is as important, if not even more important, or certainly more active, simply because of the winter break. Um, there are so many teams that are desperately, desperately in need of, uh, of new players. <coughs> um, pardon me. Um, but personally, um, I've got I've got three in mind. I don't think they definitely will all happen, but in in my mind, they certainly would be useful transfers. Um, first one I'm going to pick out is uh, Magomed Ozdoyev at Rubin Kazan, and now he's not really well. He's not been playing as regularly all season. He's had a patch of, of form, but you know we saw Rubin bring in so many um, so many new players in the summer. They got a, a load of investment, about 30 million, I think, was spent. Um, you know, Alex Song has come in. Um, Jan and Vilo is, is playing again. He uh, looks like it doesn't seem to be desperate to move straight away. Um, so, Osdorf, I think he should um, he should be an attractive option for some Russian clubs, being Russian nationality, like you mentioned, the foreign limit. So, and it's, I, I'm not sure you guys will agree with this one, but I think... Um, and it's not going to happen because of their financial situation. But I think he would be a good fit at CSKA. Um, yeah, Yeremienko, okay, he's more an attacking player, of course, but with his ban, um, that's one player down. Alexander Tsauna, I know he's been injured for the last year, but you know he's. I, I think he's had his contract terminated even, or mutually terminated, or something along those lines. Um, and I think they're just desperately short um, of players. Now, a striker is more important for them, but I think also it could be, could be a good player because... Um, uh, Goncharenko would be a good coach for him. He's 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 worked with, <coughs> pardon me, uh, a lot of good young Russian players, and and alongside, uh, of course, uh, Slutsky when he was assistant last season for a little, uh, this season even sorry. So Ostyev to CSKA, that's my sort of wild card one. I genuinely think it would work well. Um, now two others. Um, I also was looking at. Um, well, I was looking at CSK's striking options. They need somebody desperately. Um, it's not so much as a transfer, but if I was them, I would recall Kirill Panchenko from loan at um, Dynamo Moscow. I think Panchenko is a, a very underrated player. I was impressed by him when he was playing for CSK um, before the move to Dynamo on loan. Um, and I never, saw the re- I never saw the point of signing him. Um, giving him a sniff and then sending him out on loan again, especially when an Ahmed Musa left to England. So I would recall him on loan. Um, and lastly, uh, <laughs> it could be any number of players, but I think um, Angie, I think, are in need of a striker too. Um, you know, Yannick Bolly, I've I've seen his move to the Middle East. Um, and it seems like they're cutting down on players, so they need a, a Russian striker. Um, now, I, I don't know what you guys think about this, but um, personally, I I think that uh, somebody uh, somebody like, I don't know, maybe a, a Fennel striker. They need. Uh, who would that be? Well, <laughs> funny you should mention that, Thomas, playing um, Russian Football News Bingo podcast, Bingo As We Are, uh, <laughs> there's a certain 31-year-old maestro um, <laughs> no, no. But so, so, so is that the one? Is that the one who's on uh, Real Madrid's radar? I oh, certainly is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's turned them down a few times, though. Yeah, he doesn't, <laughs> doesn't like white. So, is, it, uh, is he two men's eighty seventh most influential figure? Is that is that one? Is it something like that? Well, he should be higher up the list like that. You're actually, only ninety third. Oh, I was close. <laughs> you're close. You're close. But um, no, actually, okay, we joke. But I honestly. Hassan Mamtov, in case anybody for some strange reason doesn't know who I'm talking about, Hassan Mamtov um, is he's a he's a he's a he's got no pace whatsoever, but he's an incredibly intelligent striker. Um, he knows he knows his limitations and on the physical aspect, but he's he's a very good target man, and a lot of clubs um, just simply lack a. And I don't want to say target man in the you know 1990s English Alan Shearer bulking hulking. You know, big physical player without much much brain about him. That's not what I mean. He can he can lead the line well. I hope Shearer doesn't listen to this. Shearer, oh dear God, he's a. I, I know this is going to be controversial, but I honestly think um, one of the more overrated players of the nineties. Yeah, he's he's only the top top Premier League goal scorer of all time, but we'll we'll gloss over that one, shall we? Goal scoring, yes, 
Yes, and admittedly, that's all some people want. But as a player, I thought a bit limited. But anyhow, let's um, going off topic there. Um, I I would suggest somebody like um, somebody like Hassan Mamtov, a, a funny old striker with intelligence and could leave the line for Anchi. So that's my three. The only problem with that is that he's not Dagestani, and that's where Anji seems to be want to be focusing at the moment. That's well, the that's the only thing I'd say. He's, he's, he's not he's not far from Dagestan. I can't remember the exact town he's from, but um, he's he's um, from the Caucasus at least, so close, maybe. I thought you knew everything about him. Well, um, yes, I, I don't wish to reveal too much. About him. I don't want to know too much about him because he's got to stay in Chile. What am I doing? I'm recommending him to leave, but. No, he, I think he would be a good fit, honestly. And Toga, just before I come to you, I want to mention, go back to Alan Shearer. You're, you're not bitter that he uh, didn't move to Manchester United at all? No, I mean, how am I bitter about Alan Shearer? I'm probably glad that he didn't bore me stiff, to be honest. Um, and we had a much better striker, without question, the best striker in the Premier League era. Um, none of this Thierry Henry nonsense and Alan Shearer nonsense. Eric Cantona all the way, so... You're not not referring to Alan Smith. Anyway, before we get too sidetracked, we'll <laughs> Toka, what are, what are your three transfers? Sorry to leave you out of the discussion a bit there. Oh, it's all right. Um, yeah, I think I think I like Andrew's suggestions. I, I'd like to um, attach a comment to his Austria uh, suggestion because I think he could actually also be. Uh, I think he he has to move club because he he isn't playing enough uh, at the moment. But I, I'd like to see him at Krasnodar actually. They. They have an empty spot on the midfield after selling Ahmed up to China, and they they do need some more Russian players. So I actually think he would also be a really good fit there, and I think he would fit into their to the playing style as well because he's he's an aggressive player, can play both offensively and defensively. So I think that would be a good fit. But but anyway, yeah, I have uh, noted down three players. The first of, the first of them is sort of an, a Russian football new exclusive, but that's I have. Um, a serious reason to believe that Vitaly Denisov could be moving to moving to England sometime this winter. I think it would be an excellent move. He's he's 29 now. He has done everything he can do in Russia. He's, in my opinion, the best left back in the league, and he's playing for a locomotive side who, first of all, needs money, and second of all, is in a rebuilding period. So, selling a 29-year-old player to a bigger club for for some income, that that would be a good move for everybody. Uh, second of all, of course, Lorenzo Melgarejo will leave Spartak this winter after signing uh, Luis Adriano. They don't really need Melgarejo anymore. He is the third string striker now, and they only play with one guy up front. So his 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 options for playing time are very limited, and he he does receive a nice salary. So Spartak could save some money by sending him away. I think. Might, they might not be able to sell him because he hasn't really done that much apart from his six good months with Kuban Krasnodar, but I think at least he'll move to a smaller Russian club on loan. That, that wouldn't be surprising. And then my last, my last uh, prediction, and maybe it's not as much a prediction, but as a wish, but I really hope Lambert will, will leave Senate this, this winter. He's been such a lo- loyal player to the club ever since he joined them in, in 2007 and He's really been a true, a true club soldier for them, but they haven't. I mean, he hasn't played much in in recent years, and of course, he's not really that good enough anymore. But they keep him around because he's a good backup uh, option down there. But I think he deserves to, a, a move to a club where he can play regularly. So I think it's it's almost unworthy that Senate demands a very high price for him. So Ajax and Anderlecht and all these clubs near his his home can't afford him anymore. And yeah. I think he deserves to move away from Senna so he can end his career with playing time and and, and whatever he wants because he has said that he, he is eager to leave Senna and play more. And now that Senna has Hanani, they they do have the backups options in the in the central defence. So yeah, I, I really hope Lombard will leave the club this winter. Am I right in thinking his contract expires at the end of the season? I'm not sure to be honest. This year or next or next year. Yeah. I think, yeah. I, actually, I think it's after next season. Oh, okay. Yeah. They do demand a couple of million euros for him, and that that is a lot for a thirty-one-year-old defender. Yeah, that'd be a fair amount. Um, I haven't actually got three in particular, but I'm just going to um sort of name a couple of suggestions for you both to sort of debate over. Now, the first one I'm thinking of, we talk a lot about the Russian, the foreigner rule, and that's another part of the bingo of Russian football news podcast. That's that we mentioned the foreigner rule. So the one the good thing about the foreigner rule that people often mention is that it brings through good goalkeepers. 
So the Russian football Premier League has a lot of good goalkeepers, and I'd love to see one of the top ones, someone like Zhenayev, who we'll talk a bit about later, I think, when we talk about the top 50. I'd love to see him move abroad and test himself. I mean, what would you think of that? Just Not necessarily Zhenayev, but one of the goalkeepers. Yeah, so that's an interesting option, actually, because you, when you talk of transfer rumours, you, you often very rarely tend to talk of, of, of keepers, do you? You tend to think of the attacking players because they're the glamour signings, right? Um, but um, tonight, moving abroad, yeah, that's an interesting interesting idea. Um, he's, what, 29, you'd say, Thomas, isn't he? I, I, I couldn't can tell, can tell you off the top of my head. I, I think I think he's in his late 20s anyway, um, and it's only relatively recently that he's he's gained a decent amount of exposure, and he's shown himself to be a, a top-class stopper. Um and I think being the position he is and his nationality, I don't think his price would be exorbitant. So it could be an interesting option for uh, a European club. And it, like you say, it'd be good to see a, a Russian player testing himself abroad. So, yeah, I'd be interested in that one. He, he is 29, by the way. I just looked at it. I mean, Toka, what would you think of that? We've also, we have seen Russian keepers go abroad in the past, but they've, not, they've just come back, essentially. But it'd be good to see one get an opportunity somewhere. I love to see every Russian move abroad. So I've called him to hold this. I think the guy who could actually realistically move abroad is, is perhaps Yuri Lurigan from uh, from Senate. With I, I think he'll probably stay first goalkeeper this year, but it seems like he's he is always on the on the verge of, of losing his position. So him moving abroad does have a nice resume and everything. So yeah, him moving to a German, English, whatever club. I think that would be a reasonable move. He's also 26, so it would be the right time for him. He also speaks very good English, which is which is a huge bonus. Oh yeah, and Greek. If, if, yeah. If you like that kind yeah. of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say. I was actually going to say before I mentioned the English thing. I was going to say a, a move back to Greece might be quite likely with this half Greek thing, as you said. Um, another one, though. I mean, Andrew. I know. To, I know. Token. I agree on this. So, Andrew, we're going to hound you a bit. So, I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier that, or did I mention it that Johan Molo has moved from um, Krilia to Zenit in the transfer window and we had this debate on the the russian football news sort of writers chat that we have that i mean toker and i believe that it's just another average foreign player to the zenit roster well i i actually disagree i think um as as a player he can make a genuine difference the only thing the only condition i would lay down to this transfer being a success is Obviously, if another foreigner leaps, there are just there are too many in the squad. Um, uh, I think I think the thing about Molo is that he's not a he's not a complicated player, um, but what he has is a relatively rare ability to carry the ball at serious pace and and genuinely cause problems for defenses. Because, like you mentioned, you know, the, as we're used to seeing in the Russian Premier League, a lot of sides sit back and are slightly more cautious than adventurous um, and Molo is the man who can make that difference, he's got that X factor about him, um, personally uh, if I was in charge of the transfers in and out of Zenit I personally wouldn't be speaking to you guys I'd have lots of money but, uh, <laughs> besides, besides that point um, I would um, I know he's only arrived recently but I would move out Robert Mack, um, I don't think he's a bad player but I don't think he's as valuable um, or as much of a game changer potentially as Moller is. Um, now, how or how likely it is that foreigners will be moved out in the, the this winter transfer window, I, I don't know. But I think if it could be done, if it could be arranged, that you know perhaps Mauricio as well is he is he really any quality? I think possibly not. Um, I mean, he's, he's he's not bad, but for me, he's almost a treading water kind of player for Zenit anyway. Um, I would move out Mac and uh, and give Molo genuine game time. Uh, maybe not as a starter, but certainly as a regular substitute. Give him a run of games, perhaps, um, and and see what he can do. Because I think he can seriously hurt teams, and that's that's something not many players have. I mean, Toko, I know where you stand on this, but just to explain to the listeners your thinking. Yeah, in my opinion, when Sinner buys a foreigner, he should either be a guy like Giuliano who can seriously raise the level of the squad or he should be somewhat of a young player with, with some potential to be sold on later and Molo is, is neither of the things he's 27, he's been a backup backup player at, at San Dijen for many years, now he had one one and a half good season with Prince Samvetov and of course he's been a great player for them and you can make the point that Senna signing him for 500,000 euros I believe for the price 
it is a bargain and might as well sign him, but it's just not the kind of player who Sim really needs because is is he much better? Andrew Atkins is much better than Mollo and you think he is, but not than, than Mark of course. But I think these guys are basically the same. Mark has the advantage that he's two years younger. And yeah, I mean as I said, I, I, I like Sim to sign players they can sell on for big profit. Or players who can really elevate the this, this, the level of the squad like Giuliano and Vitzler-Hulk in the past. Well, the, just just on the Vitzler-Hulk thing, you have to remember that uh, financial fair play is now a big pressure on oh, yeah, Zenit. I know they're not going to sign that kind of player. It's mm. just an example of guys coming in from day one and saying, okay, this is actually a guy who can really make a difference for us. And I think we'll probably see Marlowe in Zenit for two, three years. He'll be moved around a bit, but he'll never really be a regular for them. I, I just can't see it happening. And then eventually he's, he'll leave the club. I mean, yeah. Leaving much of an imprint. Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, going back to the English thing, I, I don't like to keep doing it on the Russian Football News podcast, but I remember when Man United signed Michael Owen on a free transfer. And to me, it's that same situation where they sign him just to stop other clubs from signing him, if, with Zenit and Moller in this case. Well, I mean, actually, I will, I will pick up on something Toka said, which I, which I do agree with. I think certainly as a transfer policy, Zenit have sort of, they, they can't obviously afford to go out and, and spend 30, 40 million anymore. But I agree with what he says, as in the long-term players certainly should be, um, I should improve the squad or should be young to be sold on. And I don't think there should be any shame in Zanit, at least with, you know, a small handful of players looking to bring in young, promising players and look to make a profit from them in the future. Because realistically, nowadays, a lot of clubs are starting to have to do that anyway, other than the really, really ludicrously rich um, clubs. Um, so. I think, well, I think the thing about Mollo is, I actually think, I think he does improve the squad. He's not as much of a blockbuster name, perhaps, as some of the others. Um, and Giuliano has been fantastic. That really was a fantastic transfer. Um, and if and when he moves on from Zanitz, I'm sure his value will have skyrocketed and they'll make a, a tidy profit from that. Uh, Mollo's clearly not there to make a profit. Um, but I, I genuinely do believe he will raise the quality of the squad. Do they need him? Probably not, but if they could trade him for Robert Mack, I think it's overall the quality goes up in my view. Um, so I don't think it should be the type of transfer that should be made a habit of. But in this instance, I think, like say for that value, um, I think it's I think he does improve the squad. Yeah, I mean, keeping on this sort of foreigner thing before we move on to the top fifty. By the way, that's coming up soon. But I'm just. We had this discussion on the chat the other day. I was just scrolling down the the foreigners in both the title challenges this season. So Zeni and Spartak. So Zeni just very quickly. They've got Crescito, Lombards, Giuliano, Mauricio, Danny, Neto. Um, just a couple more. Georgievich and Hernani. Now, of course, Molo and Javi Garcia. Those are sort of the main ones. And now, to me, that strikes as incredibly average when you look at Spartak. So they've got Jano. Zé Luis, Quincy Promise, Fernando has been fantastic, Bacchetti, uh, Popov, uh, uh, Tashi, and Mauricio, and Melgarejo. I mean, Toka, bit of a disparity there, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. You, I think you're spot on with that. At, at Sparta, you can see the foreigners and players who really elevate the level of the squad. Players who are, for most of them at least, key players, or a guy like Melgarejo who was signed to be a key player. Maybe he, he failed to become it, but at least it, that was the intent from the beginning. While at Senate we have just regular squad players like Mauricio, who I, I know he's often criticized by us, and yeah, Georgievich, and all these guys who just play now and then. They even had this uh, Serbian defender Jovanovic, who just plays on the second team, which is another. Yeah, I, did, I didn't. I didn't even. I didn't even mention him because of that reason. Exactly. And yeah, I think it's. I think it's absolutely true that signing all these foreigners when you know you have a limit. That's that's just silly. You, you have to, they have to be more picky with them and make some better, better choices. Okay, I want to move on to the the top fifty now. So, um, Andrew, you've been the one to sort of compile this. So, I'm, I mean, I know most of the listeners will know from the website, but I'm going to run down the the top ten. But then, Andrew, I'm going to come to you and just ask for a couple of things on it because you went through the effort of compiling all this. So, the top ten reads: uh, Denis. This is ten to one, by the way. Uh, Denis Glushakov, Sadar Azmun, Christian Naboa, Alan Zagoyev, Pontus Wernblum, Dmitry Polos, Artem Zuba, and then the top three, 
descending is Juliano, who we've spoken about, Quincy Promise, and then your man, Fyodor Smolov. So congratulations to him. So, I mean, one point, Andrew, this decided between Promise and Smolov. Yeah, I mean, we the, the system we used was we had 50, the top 50, and we gave 50 points to individually each of the writers that voted. We had 10 writers voting, um, and they gave, uh, sorry, nine writers voting, and they gave um, 50 points if you thought he was first place. So 450 possible voting points, and one point separated them. I mean, last last year's vote was, we, we almost didn't need a vote to, to get the number one. That was obviously Hulk. Every voter, every writer voted him number one, and he was um, comfortably the winner. This year, obviously, it was going to be much closer. Um, and I, I think this is the this is the great thing about a, a top fifty players in Russia discussion because it creates a bit of debate. And clearly, you can see with only one point difference, we between us as a group of writers, and I'm sure most of our listeners will probably also be split between who is the best player, smaller or promise. Um, I mean, Giuliano, give, if, you know, this time next year, I'm sure he really will be, I mean, he already wasn't that far off. There are only five points separating Smolov, Promise and Giuliano. Perhaps Giuliano himself might become um, top player next year. But um, I think the whole point of a, a poll like this, firstly, it's subjective by the very nature of it. So, you know, I, I do believe we have found the best player. Um, and uh, not just because I... I just adore everything he did for Odell to save them. Um, but I genuinely believe he is the best player um, footballer in Russia. Um, the second thing about the list is that, you know, this um, it, it's thrown up some very interesting differences of opinions, even amongst our writers. But we would love, obviously, the listeners, anybody who listens to this has read the site, please you know, send your comments in about whether you agree or not with us. Um, but, I mean, there, there's some really interesting really interesting movements from last year's list. Um, I'll highlight the first one um, that uh, that I think is a very, and I'm pleased to see this one happen, was Denis Klushikov. Um, so he, he made our top 10 this year. He was 41st last year. Um, and, you know, you mentioned the the quality foreigners at Spartak, Thompson. You're absolutely right. We do have um, well, probably the best collection of foreigners in the league. Um, but I'm pleased to see Klushikov get some recognition. He's been he's been fantastic in midfield. He and Fernando have been the best two central midfielders as a pair for me. Um, so I'm really pleased to see him jump 31 places. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what you guys think about the other surprises in the list, but um, uh, Toko, what about you? What, who was your most surprising mover from last year's list? I think the most surprising thing was that Roman Yermenko didn't make the list. I had him at number four or five and in my initial thoughts, and definitely gave a vote, but I think we can conclude that the writers of Russian football news don't like people who do drugs because he's <laughs> he, he is definitely one of the best players in the league. There's really no doubt about that. Sorry, very quickly on that, Toka. I mean, I was gonna, I was thinking about this before we recorded this. I mean, Andrew, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of Duncan Castles. The, the I think he writes for the Manchester Evening News. Now he had a mm-hmm. vote on that FIFA best player thing, that nonsense new award that they've done, and now the criteria for that was um, off the pitch as well. I mean, I know we don't include that, but it's an interesting point to make anyway. And now Duncan yeah. Castle said he didn't include Messi because he stropped from the national team and then he got done for tax evasion. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to... I'd like to th- I mean, lots of people were surprised at that, but he justified it pretty well, I think. And I'd like to think well, we sort of have the same principles. Yeah, I mean... No, I, well, well, it's, obviously, it's, I don't. No, you're, you're a very unprincipled person. <laughs> No, I mean, actually, I think it's, I think it is a valid point though, because obviously that is the major reason why we, most of the writers didn't vote him into the top 50. Like Toko says, he's a, he's obviously a quality player. Um, but, um, that, that obviously influenced our decision fairly strongly. I mean, what you mentioned there, Thomas, about the criteria for qualifying for a vote, I think it's not a bad thing to consider when you make these lists. Although I probably wouldn't go as far as saying, specifically tax evasion. I mean, I know obviously it's highly legal, but for me, you know, if you're looking to gain an advantage on the pitch, uh, and I'm not saying Yeromenko specifically was, because I can't remember exactly what drug it was that he took, but... Um, yeah, so he definitely didn't get an advantage. Just, 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 just very quickly, on the... 
Sorry, just very quickly on the Messi thing. I don't know whether it's tax evasion or tax avoidance, so I don't want Lionel Messi phoning me up and suing me. So just to just to say, I don't know which one it is, and <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I mean, those, those sort of matters are okay. Let's let's be honest. Everybody in any in any walk of life tries to make as much money as they can for themselves. Footballers have such a short shelf life that you know they. I mean, no one's such silly money. Most people say, "Oh well, you shouldn't complain. You should pay every penny of tax." But they are still people. They are still earning that money. It's not their fault they're paid so much. Um, if they're offered, if you're offered three hundred thousand pounds a week to host the Russian Football News podcast, Thomas, would you take the money? No. Well, unless you're offering it. <laughs> that that's a, that's added odd again. That's my second weird gap of the, the show. No, I mean, <laughs> my point. My point is that you know, if if um, if a player has been implicated or involved in financial irregularities like that. My first point is that, well, yes, it's illegal, they shouldn't do it. But I don't think, just from a footballing point of view, it should make all that much difference in the world. Because, you know, I mean, I don't know, if I was being taxed 40, 50%, I'd just be, I'd be horrified. I only pay 13% here in Russia because everybody pays the mm. same. Um, you know, that's why we've seen. Um, all these bizarre foreign people yeah. given uh, Russian citizens. Yeah, they love you know, it. <laughs> the studio, the mm. for example. But anyway, um, I'm going slightly off topic. Yeah. There. Um, I think I think it is a valid point you make though about the qualifying for it. I do think some of the off pitch um, matters should be considered. For me, things like attitude towards the team. So that the retiring from international duty when everyone knew he wasn't going to retire forever, sort of messing around like that. That's something that would affect my opinion. Just um, going back to the list itself, um, I mean, Gatscan is one that stands out for me. He certainly divided opinion here, Tug. We've had a few, including me. I voted him down uh, in the bottom three, for example, but he has been voted in the top six by uh, somebody else. So he's certainly one that divided opinion. I mean, pers- I'm just going to say my explanations. I think he's he's a liability. He gets sent off too much, and that just doesn't help. <laughs> it's, it's really strange for him because I, I, I voted him in the top half at least um, and I think he was he was brilliant last year he's a, of course the captain of Rostov and he was the, the perfect leader for the team and played a huge role in, in, in everything they achieved but this season he he has been the same player he's done the same things but at the same time he has been as you said a liability because what is it three three red cards this year four maybe even and in, in top games it's not it's not an irrelevant game. He was sent off against Senate when I was at that well, game, yeah. Well, up two 0 in Saint Petersburg, and then eventually they lost three two. I think it was the first half as well. He got sent off. I, I seem to remember. I was there, but I yeah, can't remember off the top of my head. Because he was sent off, and he's just he has made so many ridiculous mistakes, and he's, I mean, he's an experienced guy. He's the leader of the team, so seeing him doing all these, getting these red cards and committing unnecessary fouls. I think he was also sent off against Spartak, where they also lost despite uh, leading the game. It's just... it, it Yeah, it is ridiculous. I don't know what else, how else to describe it. And that is, the, that is the main reason why he isn't higher up the list, because he definitely has... He has done very, so much for Rostov, and he is, he is an important player when he's playing well, but he has just completely locked his head this, this year. Yeah, he was 32nd overall, by the way, for the listeners. Yeah. This season, of course, not this year. Yeah. Um, Andrew, another point we were talking about off before we were recording is the gap between third and fourth. Yeah, I mean, we talked about Artem Zilber earlier. He's in fourth and third, Juliano. There's a gap of 73 points there. That's the biggest between any two places. So it just shows the disparity there between those top three players and the rest. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we when we were starting the whole voting system, I mean, a year ago, like I, say, like I said earlier, we knew Hulk was going to win. Um, and it was such a runaway result. He deserved it, of course. He really was the best player by some distance. Um, but this year, we also knew what the top three was going to be. Um, we knew it was going to be smaller, promise Giuliano. Um, and Zubo was number three last year. And yeah, I, I mean, it's just simply put. Do you remember who was second? Sorry. I don't suppose you do, last do you? Year. Yeah. Um, promise. Well, promise. Oh, again. Yeah. Promise and Zubo. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I know you're absolutely right. It's a huge difference. But, I mean, in the end, these, like I said, these sort of opinions, these uh, votes, they're subjective, but over, and what I like about this year is we had more people voting from our writing team. You know, overall, it does filter out a the, the right system, I think, smaller, I do believe, or certainly smaller promise, 
Juliana are clearly the three best players and we voted them as such. And there is, I believe, a difference, a gap between them and most of the other players. Um, of course, they're going to be, you know, different personal opinions. I know, for example, Toka, you're a almost as much a fan of Pontus Vernbloom as I am of Fyodor Smolov. Um, and, and uh, you know, I voted Pontus Vernbloom in the, I think I voted in fourth. Yeah, you both, you both did. Oh, we both did. Actually, yes, we did, didn't we? Um, and yet, you know, we've got others in our team who voted him halfway down with us. Um, you know, it's you, the thing is, you could make so many variations of lists like this. You could make um, vital importance to his team uh, this season. So you might have, for example, um, well, I would actually argue Vernbloom as an example. If it was based on, you know, importance to his particular team in their situation, take Vernbloom out of CSK's midfield and they would be in dire, dire trouble. Um, now, you take Smoloff out of Krasnodar's attack, and of course it makes a big difference, but they still have Ari, they still have Jalzinho, they, um, I mean, even I'm personally a fan of Ricardo Laborde, um, but they, they have other options they, they could at least fill in in the short term. Take Verbum out of CSK's midfield, and you're looking at Zagorov Golovin as a defensive midfield player, which is not, they're not, their skills are not suited to what Verbum could do. So, Depends exactly how you define the list as to where players would be. Just a couple of wooden spoon awards. I mean, we've got to mention last place, 50th, Alex Song. Um, Toker, I'm going to ask you about this because you actually voted him higher than anybody else. So I'm just wondering what your reaction is to him being down in 50th. Well, I mean, he hasn't really done anything through the Kassan during the summer. I think I probably judge him more on what he's done in the past than, than everybody else. Um, because obviously he's a good player. He's played for Barcelona. He's played for Arsenal. Um, but yeah, we have he hasn't really showed it for for Ruben Kassan yet. I hope we will get to see it in the in the second half of the season. Yeah, there's a 56 point gap between 50th and 49th, which is the second biggest after that third and fourth that we previously mentioned. Um, another wooden spoon, Andrew Tosic dropping 23 places from last year to 34th. Yeah, that that was a very big drop. Um, I mean Tosic. He's he's clearly lost his edge in his play because his his whole hallmark was, I mean, not beating players for pace, but just I mean, I know it's going to sound up, but beating players by aggression, the way he used to go past players and you know whip in a bending left foot shot or cross, and he was more selfish, I think, or well, not more selfish, but he was more successful with his selfish attempts on goal, which I think some players need to be like that. You know, he was such a dangerous player. This season, he's just, um, I don't know for what reason in particular, but he really has dropped off by quite some distance. Um, you know, to the extent where I'd argue, if CSK sold him, I don't think they would miss him based on what he's been like this season. Um, I, perhaps he needs a bit of reassurance. He needs a slightly different mental preparation for games. Um, if Goncharenko can offer that, then CSK will have a great player back again. Um, but I think Tosic's drop this season, it was quite extreme. It was, what, 25 places, 26 places? 23 from, uh, I think. From last year. Well, you know, it's, it's, it is quite a drop, but I, th- I think it's, um, I think it is justified, to be honest. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I, I voted him. Where did I vote him for? I'm uh, you put, um, just trying to find it. Uh, so, 18th worst, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I basically, I, I always got it, always got it right. Basically, yeah. Everybody overall. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, to see what happens with Tosic, I don't think he's. I think he's lost his motivation. Um, and if he gets it back, he'll shoot up the list. But if not, then I think, him, unfortunately, that's that's roughly where he should be in the list. And Toki, you mentioned before we started recording about the an interesting point about the Spartak goalkeepers. Yeah, we have um, Selikov ranked in uh, number 38. He's recently signed with uh, Spartak from Amka. And then we have uh, Spartak's first choice in the, in the fall, uh, Archim Reprov, who isn't even on the list. I don't even think he got a single vote in the uh, initial voting where we decided who the top 50 players were. So I think that's definitely interesting. It, despite Selikov being ranked so much higher than, than Reprov, I, I still expect Reprov to be the first choice this um, this spring, but obviously they haven't signed Selikov for him to sit on the bench, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll see that uh, switch sooner or later, but 
probably not until until after the season. Yeah, just before we sort of end the top fifty topic, just very quickly, there is there anything else that either of you want to point out? I think um, I think what I probably highlight is it's not a great surprise, but um, again, I think it's a it's a it's a positive side of what the vote has done is the fact that we've seen um, three Rostov players in the top ten, or top nine, in fact. Even. Um, I mean, it's a it's a fair reward for a quite spectacular season last season and spectacular European campaign this season. I would argue um, that historic game against uh, Bayern Munich. I mean, that will that will live long in our memories, and I think they deserve that. Um, and in fact, it was the three goal scorers that night who were in the top uh, top ten: Asmund, Nabor, and Polos. Um But uh, yeah, I, I th- I'm. I'm interested to see what uh, what our readers and listeners think about the about the votes, but um, I've really enjoyed doing it. So I think it's a worthwhile exercise. I mean, yeah, as Andrew says, if you've got um, opinions on the vote, and of course you can check out all the articles. We've got a bit of a description of each one and why we think they're in a certain place done by various writers on the website. And Andrew, I mentioned earlier you did a video preview on the Facebook. So if you go on Facebook, you'll have to scroll down a bit, I think, but it is certainly worth watching. I had a good time watching it in uh, Frankfurt Airport the other day. So thank you for that, Andrew, because it, it killed a lot of time for me. So that's very kind. Um, just moving on to a quick question that we've had from actually one of the writers, David. So this is sort of a, a roundup of the year question, if you like. And he says, he asked for your, your favourite goal of the year. So Toka, what would yours be? Oh, there's so, there's so many to pick from, actually, but I had to, I had to go with this. I'm car player Alexander Salugin's goal against Tom Tomsk in um, I don't remember which playing round but it this this is a crazy goal it's difficult to, to describe but basically he, he scores from like 40 meters just past the the bottom of the center circle he strikes on goal and, and scores and it's 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 simply amazing and it they won one nil club won one nil against Tom uh, and then getting the winner on a goal like that that's yeah, that that's a goal I'll probably never forget because it's. I'll I'll, I'll link it on on the face uh, for YouTube files so you can watch. Yeah, it that's really one of the goals you can miss. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, that's a classic Hamcar score, by the way, one nil Hamcar. But um, Andrew, what would yours be? Uh, well, actually, mine uh, mine involves Hamcar as well, except at the at the other end. Um, uh, Dennis Glushkov's absolute rocket that um, for me brought back memories of Tony Yaboa's effort for Leeds in the 90s in England. Um, you know, it was, it was an injury time, I think it was, against Amcar and Glushkov picks up the ball outside the box and smashes it off the crossbar so hard that it went down into the ground, up into the roof of the net. Um, I mean, the, the hours and hours we spent trying to recreate that goal back when we were kids, having seen Yaboa do it for Leeds, uh, and then to see it not absolutely identical, but the strike itself, the technique the precision, the time of the game. I mean, to drop points against Ankar um, at home would have been very damaging to Sparta, but Glushkov, um pulling that out of the bag was, was quite spectacular. So just for the sheer individual brilliance of that strike. You haven't tried... Glushkov. Sorry, you haven't tried to recreate it on the, the snowy fields of Tumen then? <laughs> well, it's not so much the snowy fields of Tumen, but the, the wooden boards of the, the five-side gyms. <laughs> I've tried, believe me, but the, um, the results are not spectacular. Uh, I'm guessing you... Did you actually score with any attempt? Um, well, my, my current season of playing the gym, by once a week, so I've had about 20 games and I've scored about three times that's in the last um, half a year. So. Oh, wow, that's pretty good. I, I, I haven't scored in about a year and a half. So <laughs> and, I, I, and I play every week, so don't worry about it. <laughs> I, just, I, I, play in the back, I play at the back, it's fine. Um, anyway, um, my, my goal of the season, it's... Christian Noboa's free kick to win that match for Rostov against Bayern Munich in the Champions League campaign we mentioned. Not only was it a delightful goal that showed Noboa's sort of technical ability, but just the importance of it as well. I think that's a that's my goal of the season. So I think that just leaves us to round off the podcast. So uh, once again, Toker, thank you, thank you for your presence. It's always a pleasure, Thomas. Lovely, and Andrew, thank you again, and good luck with the uh, the rest of the Glushkov trying goal. Oh, well, I will. I'll uh, I'll update our listeners with my attempts to recreate it. But uh, yeah, it's been 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 a great part. I've really enjoyed it, and I, I really hope the listeners do continue the debate with the top fifty because that's basically why we did it, wasn't it? So yeah, it's been been great. Yeah. So all the listeners, I mean, like Andrew says, if you've got any comments on top fifty or anything else for that matter, 
If you go on the website, all the top 50 articles, you can comment at the bottom if there's anything you disagree with or any extra comments you think we should have made, anything like that. Uh, so, again, RussianFootballNews.com, top 50 lists there, as, as are various other articles, as it happens, obviously. Um, Twitter, RussFootballNews, at RussFootballNews, so we'll get, take any opinions on there. Facebook, Russian Football News is just the search that. And I know, Andrew, we're planning to do a couple of Facebook Lives in the near future, which we'd really like to encourage listeners to be involved with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Actually, that was the one last thing I was going to going to mention. Um, uh, we'll keep your eyes open for that. We'll publicise any dates and times um, on Twitter and Facebook. But uh, we'll do some Facebook Live comments. Make sure you comment on the videos when you see them. Any of these pop up, you know, not just in the winter transfer break, but also during the season. Um, a few of us will get some games and we'll do some live comments at half-time after press conferences. But, you know, really love you to get involved. Always comment whenever you get a chance and we'll get back to you. Um, or even better, like Tom says, Facebook Live chances will answer straight away. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to anybody getting involved with that soon. Okay, perfect. And again, for this podcast, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, do recommend it to your friends and everything. We hope we give you a good insight onto Russian football. So again, it just leaves me to say goodbye and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.